Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 109 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, before we get started, um, I wanted to mention that Tyler got the COVID vaccination shot. First round. I know it's a bit random, but that is big kudos because it's crazy because I think we are approaching almost a year, a full year of us being in quarantine lockdown. So it kind of just shows how remarkable the whole like transition has been to people getting vaccination and stuff and uh, shout out to Tyler to get in the first dose and hopefully <laughs> in the near future, people being back in stands and being able to enjoy uh, football um, in person. In this the is, I know this is actually a, a year almost exactly when my workplace had their last week in the office, like the last full week in the office. Dang. So it's like a one year anniversary. And then I somehow got the, the vaccine. I live in a home with my grandma. It's like a little personal kind of take, but you know, that's how I ended up getting it a little yeah. early, but you know, I'm kind of relieved. It's like one of those parts where it's like, you've been just in purgatory for a long time. I can, I can see how some of those players feel. And then finally you just, you get bought out by another team. It's, it's like that feeling. A new you. <laughs> it's a like new, a new you. Now I can go off again. Yeah. So no, I, outside. yeah, exactly. I wanted to mention that because I think that's just really cool because last year around this time I was still in school and I remember I went for spring break and I didn't realize like when I left for spring break, that'd be like the last time I'd be at, on campus or be in, in person in classes. So it was, uh, it's pretty crazy. And also during that same week last year, um, that's obviously when the sports, uh, when all the sports shut down with the NBA coming, going down first. And I think the Premier League played that weekend. And then after that weekend, they shut down everything indefinitely. And then that's literally when everything else shut down and we were just without any type of sports for like I would say four months, right? Three, three months or something like that. Yeah, um, it was like it was. I think till late May or early June. Oh because, my gosh! Yeah, the, I mean, we can go back and look at the our yeah, old the podcast. Pod. We did a Bundesliga preview show. We we turned into the Bundesliga <laughs> pod for one episode because we were starving for some soccer, and that was the first league that came back. But yeah, it's uh it's pretty crazy how uh you know this time last year things were a lot different. Things are still a lot different, but hopefully getting better um, in the near future. But wanted to just point that out before we jump into our episode. And we, we have to start off with the Manchester Derby. Manchester United did beat Manchester City at the Etihad 2-0. It was a big win for the Red Devils. Um, an exciting game because, you know, Manchester United, when they play against the top six, I had mentioned this record before, they have had, I think, like four or five nil-nils in the uh in the past results in the Premier League this season so this was their first big win in the Premier League and it was a really good win against the dominant Manchester City team and they ended their 21 game winning streak and it was a a fast start because they got a penalty within 35 seconds Bruno Fernandes scores slots at home and then Luke Shaw scores in the second half thanks to a Patrick Mahomes-esque pass from Dean Henderson just puts it right on the money on Luke Shaw's chest. And Shaw was just able to run through the city defense and scores. But um, it was a really good display for him, United. I know at times they looked really shaky and it was basically city were just got pretty unlucky at times. I would say that they weren't firing at all cylinders, but you have to give kudos to United. They really dug in and just defended well and hit um, city on the good uh, hit city on the counterattack. And, I wanted to point out Luke Shaw, but I also wanted to point out Dan James in this game because I think he did a really good job of just stretching the city defense. And when he was given the ball, he didn't really try to make things too overly complicated. He just literally did what he had to do, which was just run with the ball and um, yeah, just run down the line with his, with the ball and just get into position and, you know, free up the uh, space for Martial, Rashford and Bruno Fernandez. And, you know, he did a really good job of defending on his side and tracking back and making sure he was on the cover as well. So I wanted to give a big kudos to Daniel James because he may not get, um, he got, he gets a lot of, I guess, criticism from United fans, but he has showed up this season and he has scored some goals here and there and he's showing up for some of the bigger games. So I have to give uh, credit to Dan James for that performance um, in the Derby. Mm-hmm. Dan James is one of those people that you know he's not going to be the, the star man. You know he's going to get replaced eventually. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, how is he still playing? But he's kind of taking full advantage of that opportunity he has right now. It's just like, this is 
is my time to shine. There's no one else really in my position. So I'm just going to take full advantage of it and then see where it goes. But mm-hmm. I mean, this was a great game for United. Like literally, like we were texting right before this game. And it's like, man, all we need is an early goal from preferably United. And then then it's a game because then it'll have to it'll force City to get on the front foot, mm-hmm. even though usually they are. But now it'll really force them to take some risks. And man, Dean Henderson, that that throw yeah, it was really good. <laughs> Instead of a second goal, I also literally texted yes during that goal, and I was saying, "Man, that was Trevor Lawrence esque right there." <laughs> I don't know if De Gea would have done that. Yeah, like, I was surprised. Yeah, that that's been another uh, a topic that I guess that has come up recently. Is I, I would say this whole season has kind of been on the radar of a lot of United fans was whether Dean Henderson would take the number one job away from De Gea because that was the main reason. Dean Henderson decided to stay back at United and not get loaned back out to Sheffield or get loaned anywhere else. He wanted a challenge for the number one spot. And De Gea, obviously, he has had like a newborn child with his wife. Um, so that's why he is gone right now because Solskjaer let him, you know, take leave of absence to go be with his uh, newborn child. But because of that, Henderson has come up in the place of De Gea and has performed pretty well. And like you said, Tyler, I don't know if uh, De Gea makes that throw because... Um, Dean Henderson has different qualities than David De Gea. David De Gea, I would say, is one of the best, I guess, cat-like reflex. His reflexes are off the charts, as we all mm-hmm. know. He he makes some of the mo- probably some of the most insane saves that we see. But sometimes, um, I wouldn't say he's a worse distributor, but sometimes his other, I guess, qualities can be a little bit iffy in terms of being very commanding in the box. I think he can he can be a pretty weak when it comes to dealing with crosses and you know kind of making his presence known as a goalkeeper. I think Dean Henderson does a much better job at that. But um, Tim Howard was saying on the broadcast that if you were Solskjaer, I think you just keep letting Dean Henderson ride the train because, yeah. De Gea technically didn't do anything wrong, but how can you bench a player that's kind of being in form right now? So I kind of agree with him. I think you have to keep rolling the dice with Dean Henderson, even though I think Solskjaer will probably go back with De Gea as number one because, you know, it, it's hard because you kind of have two, you have the luxury pick of two good goalkeepers. Like, who, who do you pick, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not often you have that. Usually there's, there's a clear number one. There's a clear number one or there's like a big drop off. Yeah. <laughs> or usually both. It's like there's a big, no- there's a clear number one, and there's a big drop off to number two. And in the instances where it's a little bit more fuzzy, where who number one could be, like maybe the competition is a little better, like with Chelsea having Mendy and Kepa, yeah. things like that. Then you know you have a lot of turmoil. But like for Manchester United, they do have the luxury. Dean Henderson and De Gea, I would say, are both really good keepers that could start for any Premier League team in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like Dean Henderson, he really showed right now, especially this part of the season when Sheffield are dead last, how important <laughs> he was for Sheffield. Yeah. So I feel like in in, in, in the games that he has played for United, he's, been, he's done really well and he doesn't really play too often. And in those games where you just kind of get thrown in and you do, you do well, it's, it's really hard to do because you literally have no momentum. You have no rhythm. It's just like, all right, go for it. It's like, do your thing. It's like, Okay, no warm up. All right. <laughs> so, you know, that's how it is. But I will say another player on the United squad that has really blown up this season despite getting a new transfer in is Luke Shaw. Yeah. I've been seeing so many memes on Twitter of Luke Shaw being compared to Roberto Carlos this season. <laughs> they photoshopped like, his face in the Brazilian kit. <laughs> exactly. Like all these, like the, the second Alex Telles comes onto the team. Luke Shaw decides to become Roberto Carlos. So what, what's happening? Like Luke Shaw scored this game and he was just going to town. Like what, what's going on with Luke Shaw? What's going on with him? I honestly, I, I have to put probably, um, I, I, I will say this. One thing you probably don't know is Luke Shaw is six foot one and he's only 25 years old, which is crazy because you feel like he's almost 30 the amount of times he's been like as long as he's been in the Premier League. But I will say one of the big key factors of Luke Shaw improving is the competition of Alex Telles because I remember last season there was really I would say for the past two seasons he has steadily improved a bit but there were still some deficiencies and it just was like really obvious like man we really need another left back but um, this season now that we have I would say another arguably legitimate starter at left back it's not some academy product or someone that's just kind of chucked in there like Darmian it's like yeah, Alex Tellez could start for a lot of Premier League teams as left back. It is 
a lot of ways pushed Luke Shaw to be a better, be a better player, be more consistent. Um, and I think as much as cliche as it sounds, I think competition does bring out a lot in terms of players performing at their best, best level. But I will also say that Lee Dixon made a point in the commentary about Luke Shaw. He feels like he's now starting to finally trust his body in a sense. What he means is that in the past, Luke Shaw had a bunch of injuries and especially that horrific leg break he had in his, uh, in the 2015, 16 season. And since then he's just been struggling with injuries, being in and out of the lineup managers, not really trusting him like uh, Louis Van Hall and Jose Mourinho. Um, but now Solskjaer, since day one has put a lot of faith in Luke Shaw. And now that he's starting to get healthy and stay consistently healthy, I think he's starting to get a lot of that confidence and mojo back into his body where he's now starting to trust himself to make more darting runs, make runs down the line, just be more confident with the ball and not being really scared of tackles and such. And because of that, all of those factors combined, I think that's why we're seeing a much better version of Luke Shaw and probably more like the Luke Shaw that we thought United were getting way back when they signed him as a teenager from Southampton, like, I guess, five, six years ago at this point, which is crazy. <laughs> I still remember when there's a lot of hype about Luke Shaw, and I, I feel like we definitely talked about it in a previous episode before. Yeah. Like, just the hype around Luke Shaw and then what he was supposed to be. And I feel like for the first time in his career, it's starting to become what we all thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. He's just, like, starting to become, I don't know, world-class. It's a little too soon to say world-class, yeah. but he's... Like get consistent really good player yeah yeah a consistent really good left back like a solid player and yeah. that's what we're starting to see this season yeah and i feel like he's gotten um in terms of trusting his body i feel like he's starting to get some of that pace back in a sense where he's i just feel like he's a lot more nimble a little bit more quick um with things and i think the injuries and just being in and out of the lineup and i guess his body type and body shape doesn't really promote it doesn't seem like he's like the most fit person in the world but I think he's been doing really well in terms of keeping up with his body and just uh, treating it well. And you've just seen the reward of it. He's been playing a lot better. But I think one of the big things is just having competition. I think now that he has an actual competitor in the left back spot, plays a huge role in terms of motivating players and keeping them, um, making sure they're firing at the the highest cylinder. So um, that's my take on Luke Shaw. I think he's definitely been probably one of the best or... I'm trying to think of another better left back in the Premier League right now that I I can't think of right now. But I think he's definitely been up there as probably the most consistent um, left back in the Premier League this season. I would say, like, even thinking about it now, it's like he's not he's not the fat Luke Shaw anymore. It's like <laughs> it's like looking a little poorly today, mate. It's like no, he's it's starting to be more consistent, and that's the thing about this this season too. Is like even when you think about it, there's not really that many left backs in the Premier League this season that have been as consistent. Yeah. Even in like the big six, the quote unquote big six teams, there's been it's been like a rotation. Besides Robertson, it's just been like for Chelsea, it's been Ben Chilwell, and then it's been Alonso, and for Man City, it's like it's like Zinchenko and Cancelo, mm-hmm. and for Arsenal, it's like Kieran Tierney or uh, it was Kolasinac at one point, but then <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like just, Tierney's probably been like the close second in terms of I guess his attacking output he adds, but I guess in the yeah, like you said, in the quote unquote big six. I can't really think of another, maybe Regulon for Spurs, but he was kind of in a, he was out of the lineup for a little bit um, mm-hmm. and injured and such, but he was um, really good attacking for them in terms of whipping in crosses and stuff. But yeah, he's uh, better attacking than defending. Yeah. But Luke uh, Shaw's starting to become a little bit of both. Yeah. He's starting to do everything. So it's a good thing. And he scored a, scored a goal, which they said was a collector's item, which is true because that's his second Premier League goal ever in his career. His first one was against Leicester opening day of the Premier League season um, in Mourinho's final season against Leicester at home at Old Trafford. So first goal in, I think, three years, if you're going to count it, three or two seasons. Um, so it's pretty crazy. Um, but it's big news. But there was some other big news that happened um, for Manchester United today is they appointed um, within... these all Both of these people were within Manchester United's official staff and everything, our office, front office. But John Murto, um, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, Murto, um, was appointed football director for Manchester United. And Darren Fletcher, former uh, club legend, is now the technical director for Manchester United. So now United actually have um, technical directors and they actually have a technical director of football, but also someone that is a football director as well. So stuff that I've been crying about for this entire podcast series, they finally made it true. And this is um, 
inside hires, I would say. They're not, you know, out of this world. Like they appointed someone way out of the outside of United DNA. These people have been at Manchester United for a long time. The John uh, Murto has been at United, I believe, when David Moyes was hired. Um, he's been at United since then. And obviously, Darren Fletcher, his ties back from the uh, his playing days at United and being a academy product. But this is good because I think overall, um, I know I criticize United a lot about their transfer strategies, but I feel like recently you're starting to see a little bit of a pattern in terms of how they recruit players and the type of players they go after. And I think it's, I would say, just a little bit more of a better plan than what they used to do when Mourinho was there, Van Hall was there, where they just kind of splash cast on just random players like Schneiderlin, Schweinsteiger, Mkhitaryan, you know, whoever they just fancy for that for that year. And then they just kind of go all in. And I think there's a much better, bigger plan. So those are some good steps for Manchester United in the future to getting those um, front office staff aligned, getting Basically, it's nice because now the office staff is going to be reporting to Solskjaer, Solskjaer report to them, and you just have this good communication and correlation. So hopefully that can continue and they can start bringing in more uh, players to increase the quality of the squad. But um, yeah, it was a good win for United. They Manchester's red. But I wanted to mention, um, I know Man City beat Southampton. They thumped them 5-2 today, but... Um, the talk was, was there a title race back on after United ended City's 21-game winning streak? I just wanted to quickly ask you, Tyler, do you think there's a title mm. race? There's still like 30 points up for grabs for every single team, like give or take. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in theory, Manchester United could you know, close the gap, but the gap is still 11, 11 10 points. Yeah, but it's, it's a lot. It requires City to lose four games. And do I see City <laughs> losing four games? And do I see Man U, more importantly, winning more games and like kind of keeping a streak? And while in reality, like the past few games, United haven't been in the greatest of form. Like they've gotten like a few points here and there when there is like a lot of points up for grabs. So I think I still think Man City's got it. I It's too much of a gap and there's just... The form that would have to change between both teams, like as City needs to drop significantly and United needs to just turn up and become as consistent as City is right now. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I think City got too much. And, you know, City usually crash out of the Champions League um, either the next round or the round after. So, or no, usually the next round. So, I'll force them to stay focusing on the Premier League. So, I think, I think they got it. I think it's all City still. But what about you? Um, I'm going to go with, I think there is a title race back on because we saw even in the Southampton game, their defense has looked a little shaky against United and also against Southampton and against West Ham. So if you can find ways to press City when you like when they when they have the ball and do it effectively and stick with your game plan, I think you can still find ways to attack City on the uh, get them on the counter attack when you do win the ball back. It is going to require a ton of effort, but they have shown recently in these past three games that their defense has been leaking a little bit, not a ton, but just enough to kind of give the other team a bit of hope that, hey, we can maybe nick a draw here. Or we can, you know, get a win if we can play our cards right. So it's going to require a lot of effort, but I think just to have the season be really fun, I'm going to say that there is still a title race going on. It's going to require a ton of effort, but I, I feel like there's still a bit of a, a bit of a race there. It's not done and dusted. There's still a slimmer of hope. That man you hope right there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, Please put us in the title race. Please, exactly. Uh, but I wanted to move the topic to the former champions. Um, looks like they probably won't win the champ. They won't mm-hmm. win the Premier League again this season. But it, unfortunately, it's Tyler's team, Liverpool, losing again in Anfield. I think this is their sixth home league yep. defeat in a row, which is wild. Um, they obviously Fulham's um, Scott Parker's side, um, Nick DeGaulle, they beat Liverpool 1-0 in a pretty resilient display. But to be honest, I watched a decent bit of this game. Liverpool really did not look that threatening at all to Fulham's defense, and which is crazy because you think Liverpool at home against Fulham, one of the relegation sides that are trying to get out of the relegation battle, you would think Liverpool would just bash them or create tons and millions of chances, but the chances they did create, the forwards just did not look very confident at all. Mm-hmm. Salah had a shocker of a game. And <laughs> I will say Klopp put a different squad against Fulham because today 
Liverpool defeated RB Leipzig in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. And that lineup was a lot stronger. So I'm thinking he probably rested a few players in anticipation for the Champions League. Not going to lie, at this point, I feel like Liverpool are are doing the Mourinho thing and just putting all the eggs into <laughs> the Champions League that. basket and just praying to EA gods that they just get lucky and just make it all the way and just hopefully win it all. Because, you know, when usually City win the Premier League, Liverpool win the Champions League. So <laughs> I think this is their best shot of getting Champions League or at football. least getting to a Champions League final, giving them a Yes, shot. something like that because it ain't coming from the Premier League, at least this season. It's been awful. Like it just, this team, it just, it's just so hard to watch. It's like watching a pet die. <laughs> it's like, it's like watching a car accident in slow motion. It's like you just can't look away but it's just so hard to watch. Nah. And it's, it's, oh gosh. And every Liverpool fan I know on Twitter, like I have like a, like a, I don't have a following, but I follow other people. <laughs> and then they're all saying the same things. Like I, I text people, I'm like, you watching the game? It's like, no. <laughs> it's like, it's just too hard. It's just pain. So I don't, I don't think this is like, you know, a calling to say, hey, Klopp should go. I still don't think this is, because like I will say, I remember there was a time when Dortmund during his final year, they're near like relegation zone. Like yeah. Dortmund just knew it's like, all right, it's coming to an end. Like there needs to be a divorce. Yeah. And I <laughs> it needs I, to have yeah. something like that. I, I, was I don't gonna, think it's that. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't think um on my end, I don't think he deserves to get sacked or fired either. And even um Gary Neville said the same thing that there's no way you can feasibly sack Klopp after he literally delivered a title in a Champions League. And a Champions League final appearance, especially the Premier League title to a, a club that hasn't won the Premier League since it obviously established in its, itself into um, when the English Premier League formed. They haven't won it. But um, I wanted to ask, is there been a burnout, do you think, this season with the players? And Liverpool didn't bring in enough, I guess, new faces in the summer. And that's and we're seeing a burnout with the squad that Klopp has basically been having the same group of players for, you know, the past three, four seasons that have been doing the same thing, especially players like Wijnaldum, Firmino, you know, Mane. Um, I know Salah and then I know Fabinho is a bit new, but, you know, Jordan Henderson, players that have just been here for a while that have been just doing the same thing for the past couple of seasons. I wonder if there's like a bit of a burnout they're going through right now. I definitely feel like... They want the season to end as soon as possible. Like they, they don't want to play the rest of the season. I can definitely feel like, I mean, even in real life, I'm, I'm pretty burnt out at work right now. It's just, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they are too. Cause you know, everyone's kind of feeling it, the, the effects of just the pandemic and how it's affecting everyone. And I feel like that's definitely hitting the Liverpool squad, not only in terms of injuries, but also probably mentally as well, because they, they have, you know, enough players to get results, especially against like a Fulham side. Yeah. Like on paper, they should be competing. But in this game, they literally did not make a single clear cut big chance. It just looks like they're just playing around. <laughs> it's just like they're just kicking the ball around. And then it's like, are they going to are they going to shoot? Are they going to shoot? It's it was literally like they were just playing for 90 minutes and then nothing was happening. That's that's kind of how I would describe it. It's just a 90 minutes of nothing. It's like, I want my 90 minutes back. <laughs> but I feel like that kind of lack of creativity, like, you know, when you, you have, this is like a weird analogy, but you know how you have like those authors, those creators, like those cinematographers. That's like, oh, wait, I have to take a sabbatical. I have to like just clear my mind and they yeah. come back and it's like, boom. Taking like a Bango, break. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he makes like Starry Night or something like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like, Liverpool really need that right now. They really need that summer because they didn't really have it. They didn't really get to have it this past season. Like they didn't get to have that break really. And I think it's really starting to hit them. And there's just been so many unfortunate things that's hit a lot of the players individually from like Klopp losing one of his own family members, Ali's son recently losing one of his own family members. And like those things kind of compound and it kind of spreads throughout the entire camp and also just losing Jordan Henderson to the rest of the season and like having Van Dyke be out. Like at one point we were debating, like there was talks about who's going to be the captain because like every captain might be out <laughs> at this <laughs> point, like Milner was out and then like one he'd be like the fourth captain or something like that. It was, it was crazy. 
So I really think it's a combination of all those things compounding onto potential burnout. Yeah. And I really think it's just Liverpool really wants the season to end. And as a Liverpool fan, I only want to watch Champions League games now, right now. It's just like, <laughs> geez, we, cause th- today's game against RB Leipzig, it was a whole different team. It was like the Liverpool old it, minus the finishing. <laughs> we had, I would say a million chances. And then we finally just put away two. So at least, but the million chances at least came as opposed to the Fulham game where there were no chances. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, I remember I saw the lineup and I saw Trent Alexander Arnold, you know, out of the lineup. And maybe that was like club showing a bit of like, uh, trying to, I guess, show a message, but uh, it could have been probably just, he's just trying to rest some of his star players for the champions league nights. But I wanted to say that, um, Let's say hypothetically, if, if crowds were allowed and this was normal times and Liverpool were going through a slump like this with Klopp and this team, do you think the if they were in Anfield, do you think the fans would boo them um, at a certain point during this losing losing streak? Hmm. Because that's question. happened for United in recent times. Even last season, when they I remember when they lost to um, Burnley like two nil um, that home defeat before they signed Bruno Fernandez. I mean. They got booed pretty badly, and there were signs about you know Ed Woodward out. I mean, it was pretty bad atmosphere, and we've seen it at Arsenal with booing you know Arsene Wenger, Unai Emery. Um, I guess City not so much, but Chelsea have uh, have done some crazy things. Um, Tottenham have done done so as well. So be interesting if you if you feel like the Anfield crowd would uh, have like the same reaction in terms of just like calling certain players out or being you know very boisterous during this losing streak. Hmm. The the main difference I would say for those kind of scenarios like Wenger out, um, Unai Emery out, those kind of scenarios <laughs> is that I felt like it was every Arsenal fan almost, and it was just a very small percentage of Arsenal fans that wanted Wenger to stay, or in Unai Emery's case, everyone wanted him out. <laughs> but for Klopp's situation, I still feel like there's a huge majority of people that want him to stay, and everyone's a little understanding of what's going on. And like the lack of center backs, like literally this center back pairing of Nathaniel Phillips and Kabak was the 21st center back pairing of the season. Like that's, I feel like that's a record in itself. Yeah. So I think the fans would be upset. There would be a small percentage of people in that crowd that I'd probably boo. But I feel (laughs) like if there's a time for a team supporters to really stand up and like help support the team. It's it's right now. It's because, you know, you support the team during the good times, but during the bad times, too, you got to be there to help them get through it and help yeah. them rebound. And I feel like me being optimistic and hopeful about this, I feel like the fans, if they were there, they would try to, you know, cheer them on and clap and keep them accountable from having a performance like this. But, mm-hmm. you know, the occasional performances that, you know, that happens with, I think there would be some, like, if it was like right now, if, the fans were there for all six, maybe by the sixth match they'd be upset. But, you know, right now I'm, I'm just seeing online, just seeing on Twitter, everything. It just looks like everyone, there's still support. Like there's, it's pretty split at some points, but I still feel like majority of people still support mm-hmm. and try to get behind the team. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. I know um, one thing I, that, that was kind of in the back of my head was uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum. Cause I, I know at least from my understanding, he still hasn't signed a new contract. And I think, is he basically expiring this year or next season he's done? This this would be his last season if he doesn't get a new contract. And he so, hasn't signed anywhere else yet? Like pre-contract? Nope. All right. So I don't know if he's really looking to go somewhere else at this point. Because like I feel like by this point, if another team wanted him and he wanted to leave, he would have signed a new contract by now. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Maybe just waiting out. <laughs> he's just waiting to the last minute to see what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. But... Today he captained the team, so yeah, I feel like that's something. If you wanted to leave, you wouldn't do. Yeah, if you're the captain, usually you're not the first to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I just thought that was interesting too, because I don't know if like even that compounding with everything else could be leading to problems of like players maybe looking at it as like, why aren't you committing to the team like for the future or like where's your head at type thing like. But it seems like it's not like one of those really toxic atmospheres where it's like a. Uh, Christian Erickson trying to leave Tottenham type <laughs> five and stuff like that. But it's interesting. And I, I wanted to um, kind of move it to Fulham real quickly. But 
Fulham have done really well recently, and they've done pretty well since December, I would say, ever since, mm-hmm. I think, Christmas. They've just been on a roll of just picking up good results. They obviously made some big signings in the January transfer window, but Scott Parker, I got to give him a lot of credit because he came in um, basically trying to play. Um, he basically came in in the start of the Premier League season and Fulham, he tried to make Fulham still play like they did in the championship, which was a very free-flowing attacking side. Um, not as attacking, obviously, as Leeds, but still free-flowing, try to play their stuff and like almost like a Bournemouth. But he quickly realized that playing people like Tom Kearney and trying to play that style was not working. And he really has done a good job of shifting it and kind of making them a little bit more of a resilient counter-attacking side. And I got to give him props because I know we talk a lot about managers sticking with their philosophy of being super attacking, but I know Scott Parker in his heart is an attacking, attack-minded coach, but he's done a good job of altering it a little bit to kind of fit the um, players he has and just making results come from there. So I have to give big credits to Scott Parker because it seems like the momentum's on Fulham's side and they they might actually stay out of the relegation battle and you know stay up in the Premier League. Mm, I really have to say too, I don't know if it's just me has with that Josh Maja bias, but <laughs> ever since he came in too, it's just yeah, they've been, just been winning. a lot more threatening. Yeah. Yeah. And Josh Maja, he he's not really a complete forward, I would say. He's not someone who's just lighting up. He just knows how to finish the chances that are given to him, whether it's scrappy or whatever. He just gets it done. Yeah. And that's that's key. Like I I'm watching him play these past few games for Fulham like I've been watching Fulham games which is kind of weird to say <laughs> but it's it's been exciting because like Ariola is starting to he was starting he was turning up at the beginning of December because like we all knew who Ariola was and at the beginning yeah, of the season much better like, than Serge Rico yeah Sergio Rico was the opposite of what happened but you know there's a lot of expectations on Ariola and then he's actually kind of reaching those expectations and he's basically putting that defense on his head and that defense pairing of like Anderson and the other tall guy <laughs> like literally it's it's starting to become a lot more solid you don't see Fulham conceding like five six goals like they did that last time they're in the Premier League mm-hmm. per game so they're starting to be a lot more solid if they're not already so I gave Fulham basically no credit at the beginning of the season I was just like no they're going down <laughs> like they were lucky to even get into the Premier League and now they're starting to look like a team that has so much momentum I wouldn't be surprised if they at this point were to leapfrog Newcastle or right now the unlucky Brighton, in my opinion. Because yeah. Brighton very unlucky. Unlucky, but also it's just like, man, they they're getting the chance of just not finishing them off. It's like <laughs> kind of Liverpool, but in like a different scenario where it's just they're kind of worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, Scott Parker, man, maybe this has to do with his his fit. Yeah, you know, he's looking like a men's warehouse. Jacket. The puffer, puffer jacket over the no the the it was like a cardigan over the puffer jacket. He's like full on like menswear style right there. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, he's looking fly. Where's he going? Yeah. <laughs> Where's he going after this? Like, what is this? He looks much better than like literally al- almost every Premier League manager that just wears like a jumpsuit. I know. Suit. It's like what? It's like is he sponsored or is he just decided all of a sudden he's just gonna dress up really nicely for every single game? I don't know what it is, but he's, it's working. Like yeah. full on, we're going off. Exactly. Man, but yeah, I had to mention Fulham because they, they have been picking up results and they obviously picked up that 1-0 win at Anfield. But we have to move the conversation toward the Tottenham versus Crystal Palace match. Tottenham won 4-1. But our man Gareth Bale picked up a brace again, another brace, and he assisted as well. Um, Kane, Harry Kane also got a brace. Harry Kane scored like a, an amazing goal. But um, what, what's interesting here is Gareth Bale is kind of going through the same thing I would say Luke Shaw is going where I feel like now he's starting to get a little bit more healthy. He's not getting injured as much. And Mourinho mentioned a comment that he would like to play Gareth Bale like pretty much every minute of every game, but he has to obviously monitor his body because he's a 31-year-old that has had injury issues. But we're starting to see Mourinho, I guess he's starting to get desperate, but we're starting to see Mourinho start to play that Fab Four almost, what they like to call it at Spurs, which is, uh, Hyunmin's son, Harry Kane, Gareth Bale, and either or of Lucas Moore or Deli Alley. Um, and it's working. They've been scoring a lot of goals. And granted, they have been playing some of the weaker teams in the Premier League. But you have to give kudos to Jose Mourinho. Kind of, I know he's kind of back up against the wall, but they have been picking up a lot of results and been jumping the table. But 
I um, I'm pretty excited, and I think a lot of Spurs fans are excited to finally see that he's playing all four of the attackers at the same time. And you know, not that much of a shocker, but they're scoring a lot of goals, and they're looking like really fun. And Gareth Bale looks like um a goal scorer again. He looks like that playmaker again. So, um, I have to give big kudos to Mourinho to finally just put all his just throw everything out there and starting to trust like this Fab Four, as they like to call it at uh, Spurs. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't take getting these results against lesser <laughs> opposition for granted. <laughs> I'd seeing Liverpool struggle. So, you know, this Bale situation, I've been thinking about it since the last episode, Yosh. Like, I was up at like 2 a.m. just laying in my bed just the other night. I was just thinking about the last topic we talked about. It's like, is Bale eventually going to get back to his old form? And I was like, well, I don't think he ever can at this point because... And I don't think he should either because he physically is an old man now and he's got to adapt his his way of playing. It's kind of like Messi will never be that 99 pace dribbler kind of mouse kind of guy that just like gets through the entire team. Like he doesn't have the physical ability to be able to do that for a whole 90 minutes. Like he can yeah. barely do it for like one half at this yeah. point. Ronaldo used to be like the left winger that just ran past everyone. And now he's just a, a striker that doesn't do anything on the defensive side. Yeah. Just coaches goals, you know. Mm-hmm. So like these two players, these two great players had to adapt their style to their older age. And Bale's at that point now. He's at the point where he's like, I'm an old man. I can't be doing what I used to do. So I got to become <laughs> a new form. And that's not a bad thing. I feel like this new form of Bale, a little bit more conservative, a little bit more slow motion. But if he's it gets the job done. Still yeah, it's, and his shot is still really powerful. If you can just pinpoint those things about Bale that were just really good about him. Like, sure, you're not going to get the pace. Sure, you're not going to get, like, that brute force, just <laughs> velocity, just rapid like, thinking, like, these movements that we used to see from Bale, or, like, the footwork. You're not really going to get that, but if you can get that finishing, if you can get that ferocious left foot of his to score finesse at every once in a while, that's all you really need. And if Bale can just get that back into his locker and just get it consistently coming, like, these past couple games, but just throughout the entire season... And just become a Ronaldo kind of type situation where he just kind of grows into this new old man bail and kind of embraces it. That's not too bad. Like, I feel like this is something that will help Bale become better and then in turn help Tottenham if Tottenham ultimately decides to, to buy him and transfer him in. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also think a big factor into this is Harry Kane getting healthy and being back to his best because as we always say, Tottenham go where Harry Kane goes. So if Harry Kane is scoring goals, that means... Tottenham in general are playing a lot better, but I agree with you. I, I that's a good enough. That's a good point to bring up is that Gareth Bale kind of has to remodel instead of, I guess, trying to wish that he's still like the pacey left or right winger um, like he once was. Instead, trying to envision Gareth Bale as this new, um, reformed, older, wiser striker forward that gets in, scores his goals, and still can contribute in another way rather than just being the pace, just relying on straight up pace and the dribbling and everything he still has all these other um facets to his game which are really good but man he um he scored a brace again and you know i mean he, he's just re- right now in some really good form um so that's really good and even delhi ali he hasn't been playing too much but he scored a bicycle kick in the europa league i think two weeks ago and he's been performing pretty well in the premier league lucas moore eh, not so much but hyunmin's son um i would say still needs to uh, he, he started off the season super hot, and I think he has tailed off a little bit. But if they can get Hyunmin's son performing again at a super high level, that's you're talking about three forwards, Harry Kane, Hyunmin son, and Gareth Bale all firing at the highest cylinders. That's pretty scary if I'm if I'm a defense in the Premier League. And that was ultimately what you know Tottenham wanted at the beginning of the season. That's something like we talked about. Yeah. Too is just thinking, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing these front three, how are you gonna stop that? Like, how do you what? Like so much finessing is going to be going on. I know this could be so- <laughs> just like on the right. <laughs> Out of context, that might be bad, but <laughs> in in football terms, yes, so much finessing to the opposite corner. But I mean, this is this should be exciting for Tottenham fans. You know, Sungmin, if you're listening, be excited because yes. you know it's starting to be good. It's about to be some good times. Hopefully, if you just keep the trend rolling. Yeah, hopefully and- Mourinho doesn't pull another Mourinho where he just like banishes a player to the dungeon and just never lets them go. Right now, there might be Bergwine at this point. Where has he been? I know. I, I literally have not heard his name in so long. I remember when he came onto this scene last season and was like, well, this guy's good. And 
Now he's just no longer here. So, now it's bail time. Yeah. It's old man bail time. And everyone, don't be too sad that you no know, young Bale's not here anymore. He lives on in YouTube montage videos. <laughs> you can still see him. He lives on forever on the internet. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. But um, I wanted to move it to Chelsea versus Everton. This game, um, Chelsea won 2 0. But the biggest, I'd say two biggest points was Kai Havertz finally performed at a really high level and had his breakout game, scored a goal, and basically forced a penalty. Had a really, really good game. But I guess a bigger thing that came out of this game, I guess more, um, more, I guess, readily important for U.S. men's national team fans and also U.S. soccer fans is the Christian Pulisic situation. Because I said this and I, I thought this, that when Thomas Tuchel arrived at Chelsea, I thought Christian Pulisic would be thriving under him and be getting consistent game time, basically be the new new son like Mason Mount was with Frank Lampard. But we have not seen that. Yeah, Christian Pulisic has been injured for a couple, couple um has been injured. He has taken a leap of absence to handle family issues, but he has been back and he has been healthy, but he's only played a very short amount of time in the Premier League. Hasn't even started a Premier League game in um, under the Thomas Tuchel, Tuchel reign um, in Chelsea. And I think Tuchel um, answered this question when asked by a reporter. And he basically said that he knows the. he said, it's not really that fair to judge Pulisic because he knows he thinks it's a bit unfair because he knows the qualities Pulisic has coming off the bench for like 20, 30 minutes at his time at Dortmund. And he basically went on to say it's not a lack of trust or a lack of quality that's keeping Pulisic off the starting lineup. So I basically interpreted that as Tuchel just thinks Pulisic is a super sub at this point, which is a little sad to say, but it brings a bigger point. Should Pulisic leave Chelsea and I think there's been a report that Pulisic is going to finish out the rest of this season, but he might explore other options when the summer comes on whether he wants to leave or he wants to stay at Chelsea. But I think for the betterment of his career, I think he probably has to, I guess, move on or gets at least get loaned out because we have seen that when he does perform really well, he has a lot of quality, but we just have not seen it consistently enough in a Chelsea shirt. Mm-hmm. And under Tuchel, Chelsea has been really good about rotating players in and out of the starting lineup. And we're seeing Kai Havertz finally get a start in the starting 11 <laughs> after so long. It's just, it's like, where's he been? And <laughs> we thought it was injured. He's like, he's not injured or anything. It's just, he, he's just been benched. And Kai Havertz has been a player that I was really high on when he came into the Premier League. I was like, that was such a luxury pick for Chelsea. Like that was the biggest luxury pick of any team this season in the whole world. And they benched him. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? And he finally scored, although it was a big deflection, his second goal of the Premier League season. And I feel like if Kai Havertz, like a lot of people on, on Twitter at least saw, were saying, it's like, you should build a team around Kai Havertz. It's like, if Kai Havertz is finally getting his chance now, where's Pulisic? Where's his chance? And I don't see Pulisic getting his chance. Like the, the English son, Mason Mount, became the son of Tuchel, which is <laughs> what we thought was going to be the opposite of what happened. We thought Mason Mount was going to get the boot onto the bench. And Pulisic was going to become the new son. But no, it's still Mason Mount. And I think as the U.S. men's national team's best player, like as like the captain, well, he's the captain, right? Or is it still Michael Bradley? I or think he's like the future he's captain, tired. at least. Yeah. <laughs> like this, he's our best player on the team for the whole nation. Like he can't be on the bench for Chelsea as the right super slum. Yeah. He got to be starting for some team. He's got to be the main player. Yeah. Like Clint Dempsey was one of our best players for the U.S. Men's national team. Like, he was on Fulham, mm-hmm. but he was still really good. Like, yeah. and, I prefer him. And it's it's also interesting because other European, U.S. men's national team players that are, are playing in European clubs like Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna, Tyler Adams, they're all in some sort of way starting pretty consistently for their clubs. And then you have Pulisic, who's supposed to be the number one player for the U.S. roster, and he's just being benched pretty much the entire season. And he's been hurt a lot of times while he's been in the Premier League. He's been dealing with injuries and just being benched. And I think really the old, the best version of Pulisic we saw was literally during Project Restart when everything came back um, for during coronavirus. Um, and besides that, he just really has not done anything for Chelsea in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And he wears the number 10. Like yeah. he wears the number that to me, numbers do mean a lot. And if you give the number 10 shirt to someone like that's one of your best numbers you can get. Like a lot of people like that was Fernando Torres. Number, has, right? 
Wait, what? That was Hazard's number, right? Yeah, that was Hazard's number. And he took Hazard's number. Like, these numbers mean a lot to certain people. Like, like El Nino, Torres, he has the number nine tattooed on his arm. Like, that's <laughs> that's something for you. So, I feel like Pulisic, he has a lot of not only potential still, but also just a lot on his shoulders to be the superstar at Chelsea. But he's not even getting the chance. So, I feel like he should get loaned out next season if he doesn't get any minutes, like any significant minutes the rest of this season because i mean if the trend kind of goes like that on to next season too then it's uh, kind of wasting away christian politics not even prime but like potential to build into becoming a better prime politic later on yeah so i don't I, even know like if you can send them to a mid team mid table team in yeah. the Premier league or even just you know another champions league team in another league like that's still better than what's going on at chelsea yeah, I was I was gonna say if you had to keep him within the Premier League, I was thinking about this at work. I think Leicester City would be a, a fun, interesting place to have him have mm-hmm. Christian Pulisic at because you, he would be under the tutelage of Brendan Rodgers, who I would say to his credit does a good job of kind of developing young talent. And at least at Leicester, with bringing up the likes of James Madison, Harvey Barnes, um, you know, trusting a lot of that, I guess, youngish players. And basically turning them into seasoned veterans and playing more consistently. And you saw what he did with Iose Perez. He kind of like helped him turn into more of a consistent goal scorer. He basically made Johnny Evans a better center back. So Inchu um, is a good player. Ricardo Pereira comes out of nowhere and is like a good right back for him. So I think uh, if he were to go there, I feel like that would be a good spot for him because Leicester are not always fighting for Champions League. They're in that weird position where they're like trying to shoot for it, but it's not like this expectation that they're supposed to win the league every season. So I feel like having that pressure off his mantle would also help him too because now he can just kind of enjoy his play style. And I feel like Leicester really kind of embody the way Christian Pulisic likes to play. They're very direct, very attacking. They're not very, you know, very defensive-minded. And not to say Chelsea are defensive-minded, but um, Brendan Rodgers likes to play an attacking style, and Christian Pulisic is a very talented winger. So I feel like that would be a good spot if I were to pick a a Premier League club to send him. I feel like that would be a good space for him to kind of develop and get his feet um, back to being one of the better players in uh, in Europe, better young players in Europe. Just any team that's attacking, like a Leeds, <laughs> like even West Ham at this point, like I'd take that. But man, Chelsea. So I, who, I was, who I was you... always upset he went to Chelsea. <laughs> and then now, man, I'm like, Chelsea don't deserve him. <laughs> Liverpool just sweep in and get him for like. A... I mean, that would help with the rotation up front. Maybe that a little bit more competition will help kickstart, you know, Salah and Mane back into the form. Mm-hmm. I mean, they scored today, but. I mean, in the so league, though. If you if you had, I know you just mentioned Leeds and West Ham, but if you had to pick one club, where where do you think would be the best fit for Pulisic right now? Hmm. I still always treat him as like a younger guy because he's younger than me. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't even mind him going back to Dortmund for a loan, oh, or okay. just like any other team that really is high on young players like Ajax. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, like Leicester is another good pick, and. What's another team that just kind of shells out? I mean, Dortmund is usually like the key kind of team that just builds young players into like superstars. So I don't even mind him going back there. I don't even, so, I, you know what's funny? Even Dortmund. if he went there, I don't even think he can start. Like I, I wouldn't, right now at least, I wouldn't start him over like Gio Reyna or um, Dorgan Hazard or Jaden Sancho or, true. It, you know, I know Julian or not Julian Vico, um, I'm forgetting the name, uh, Julian Brandt. I know he's not a winger per se, but he can play there and he's still a young mm-hmm. forward. I, I, you could send him there, but I, I just feel like, man, I feel like they've done a good job of it. I, I would say moving on from Christian Pulisic, which is crazy, That's but true. they do it all the time. <laughs> like they moved on from Usman Dembele, um, Henrik Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang. I mean, it's crazy. Maybe, uh, RB Leipzig then? I saw yeah. they really needed some attack help this game yeah. <laughs> in the Champions League. So but it maybe is, Juventus replaced Ronaldo. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it is sad that, you know, when Pulisic did sign, we were having, we had some really high hopes for him to kind of be, I I would say, just turn, in, turn himself into a superstar at Chelsea. Be like almost Hazard-esque where he is just carrying the team. But he just hasn't had that ability to do that because of injuries and also managers not really trusting him to be in the lineup. But... It's a, it's, it's a weird situation right now with uh, Pulisic and Chelsea. But 
I wanted to mention, um, last point here is Chris Wilder, who is obviously the current manager for Sheffield United. But after the recent loss this past week against Southampton, he basically went on a, a tirade, just like went on a rant and just said he would shake things up if he could. And basically, in a lot of ways, just said some players need to leave the club. And my question is, do you like that straight up honesty from a manager speaking to the media? Or do you feel like it's a little bit kind of disrespect and it's also... He doesn't really have the right to say that, considering he's dead last in the Premier League um, this season. I will say that at least there's a a stigma in this kind of modern era where it's hard for people to get fired unless you're at a very competitive kind of firm, at least in the workplace. Like it's a lot of times it's like you kind of hint people should just quit. (laughs) And like there's very few times when people just get straight up fired. And maybe that's like Chris Chris Wilder's way of saying it kind of passive aggressively. It's like, I know we're sucking right now. We're dead last. And we're definitely going to have to fight in the championship next season. And those who are not up for that road and are just kind of pissing about, kind of just upset that they're going to have to do this and not on board with that idea, you got to go this summer. Like, we only want the people that want to be at the club and want to try to get Sheffield United back into the Premier League next season. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me a lot of like when Sunderland in that documentary were kind of in that same situation where it's like we only want players in the club that want to fight for the club or are not here for just the money and want to get Sunderland back up to where they should be. And, you know, you saw there's actually a lot of players in that club that are just really there for the money. Who Who is that? I forgot. Who's the player that was supposed to leave on January transfer window? And like they were like the board was literally met with him, pleaded with him. It was like, please leave. We can like Jack Rodwell. Yeah. They're like, we can buy you out. <laughs> and like, You can like make this club better if you just leave. And he was like, nah, <laughs> nah, dude, I love the bench. Like literally Jack Rodwell. He was a former Man City player. I feel like we talked about him before, too, but he's the epitome of like every normal person's thinking it's just like like the every like not normal but like every average human being in that's not a professional athlete that does not have the body type to do it like when like here's what i'm trying to say so like if i were to ask you yush if you can join any team and just get paid the premier league wage or even like the championship wage would you take it yeah exactly yeah but like you know you're not gonna start or you're not even going to be on the bench because like you don't have the physical body type. You don't have like the training, the years of training. You don't have like the tactical training that the players have. Like you don't have that academy training and neither do I, but I would take it too because I would get paid a ton and I could just <laughs> sit and watch like my team play every single week, like front row seat. But yeah, like that's, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's literally what Jack Rodwell is doing. He's doing what every average normal human being would do, mm-hmm. except he has the abilities to be but he just a doesn't do it. player. He has this, the ambitions of just like a, like a normal person. Like he has the physical abilities to do it, but he just doesn't do it. And that's kind of long winded way of saying, I think what Chris Wilder is kind of saying where those people that are here that don't really want to be here, they got to go because it's affecting the rest of the team. Because, like, if you know one person on the team doesn't really care, then, like, it kind of kind of ruins the mood of everyone else. So it's just like, well, he's not really trying. Then I can have an off day, too. <laughs> but if you know, if, like, you look at, like, a Liverpool squad, you look at a Man City squad, if you see someone's keeping you accountable at all times, like, in the old man you side when you had like Roy Keane there if you had like an off day he would like probably beat you up <laughs> and then like if Steven Gerrard saw you like mucking about or like not really having a good day like or not really trying your best you would probably come up to you like give you the death stare or the death stare while it's <laughs> Sheffield United right now it's just like who's gonna do that <laughs> this, is, this is Chris Wilder's best attempt at just getting that actual Deadwood out of the out of the club and being like all right this is how it's going to be. He doesn't want to get relegated two seasons in a row. He doesn't want this to be the next Sunderland. So that's, that's a good point because I, I, I guess when I looked at it, I kind of took it as like, man, this guy is out here criticizing his players. Meanwhile, he can't even do enough to get like the results on himself. And it's more of like, he's just pushing the blame off to other people rather than just accepting the blame. But I guess I didn't really see it from your perspective on terms of like, he's kind of maybe come to terms that they're going to get relegated and that he needs to be thinking in the future, what players he can actually have on his side that will have his back. So I think, mm-hmm. I think there's like a, 
a give and take to both. I think you can definitely see where he's just pushing the blame off to players instead of just accepting it. But I do see your point about he is just gearing up for the fight next season in terms of trying to stay in the championship or trying to fight their way back into the Premier League. So I think that's a good point. But I wanted to mention that your man, Rian Brewster, gosh, this guy, I would say probably has been one of the biggest, not the biggest flop because there are obviously bigger money signings that have flopped even more. But for Sheffield that broke the club record free to sign this guy from Liverpool, he is not, I don't think he hasn't scored a single Premier League goal or assisted one. I don't think at least he hasn't scored one this season and he's just been kind of a total flop this season, man. I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, are you shocked by how big of a flop he's been this season? I have. And I'm just really impressed with the Liverpool marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, dang, they made he, they made him look like a future star. And I mean, how old I is mean, he? I'm, is he like 24, 23? No, he's younger than that. He's like, wow. I, I want to say late teens, early 20s. Like it's wow. he's very young. Like he still has a long ways to go. So like the potential's still there. It's just right now in the system, I feel like it's not really to his advantage. Like mm-hmm. I feel like he has to have like he can't do anything by himself, which is basically what I'm saying. Like he's he's like a Josh Maja where I feel like if you give him a lot of opportunities, then he can finish them like uh, scrappy or not. But like if he has to create something himself or kind of go on his own. He can't do it. And clearly it's showing he can't do it. He can't even get the starting 11 gig for Sheffield United. Yeah. And I would say he's kind of like the flop of the season so far because like he was the he's the reason why I would feel like Sheffield are in like a for sure relegation talk. Like it's not even like a debate where it's like, oh, they could get out. It's like, no, this kind of some this mistake <laughs> cemented them into relegation, yeah. which is why I say for now it he's overtaken bail as the flop of the season, yeah. which is kind of sad because I thought he was going to be the next big thing. Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. And he just hasn't performed well. And, um, you know, you have to give credit to Liverpool to kind of recognizing that, hey, this guy just probably isn't going to cut it. And maybe maybe his quality is just like championship level. Or maybe it might take him a couple of years to kind of develop and maybe get back into the Premier League. But, yeah, I was a little disappointed because I remember even when we first started the podcast, you were like, this Rian Brewster cat you know, give him a couple of seasons. He could be like the next main striker for Liverpool. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and he then, was out for like a whole season from, yeah. a, I think it was an ACL tear or something like that. He was just out. And when he came back, we sent him to Swansea and yeah, scored a few. And well. I was like, oh, he's doing all right. I'm yeah. like, he's looking promising. Like granted the tape didn't look like he was like insane or anything, but it's like, oh, he's scoring. And I mean, it looked promising, but it's just like, man, just when it was finally time for him to show up, it was like, he kind of left that at Swansea, but <laughs> I will say that I, I want to put this out there. The next, there's a new, there's a new boy, there's a new boy, Yush, that Who has a it? lot of hype growing, and it's Harvey Elliott. Oh he's yeah, like a I've heard of seventeen-year-old yeah. guy that we bought from. I forgot even where, but he's like sixteen years old when we got him, and he's currently at Blackburn Rovers. He's like kind of going ham right now in the championship. So. He's the next one. He's this one's this one's promising, but oh my gosh! After seeing Rian Brewster kind of hit the fan with the turds, it was just like oh my gosh. We'll see uh, how Harvey Harvey Elliott does once it's his time. There's too many Harveys in the Premier League. I know. We got Harvey Barnes, Harvey Elliott. <laughs> hopefully this this Harvey does as well as the Barnes one. <laughs> yeah. No, I I'm excited. I mean, he's a pretty young guy, so I don't know how soon we'll see him in a Liverpool starting eleven. But that is a good uh, good note to keep a tabs on for the future. Um, even though the Rian Brewster uh, name didn't work out, but maybe maybe Harvey Elliott can uh, come back and redeem it. But that's a good point to kind of keep uh, keep tabs on. But we want to go to the uh, preview section. We have not the most exciting set of games this weekend, I would say, compared to other weeks, but. To start off, we have Manchester United versus West Ham. This is a big one. West Ham are in really, really good form. Uh, obviously, Jesse Lingard won't be playing this week because of the loan rules of uh, not playing against your parent club. But United, after picking up a big win um, against City, they still have to play their Europa League fixture against AC Milan. So that'll be interesting because there's going to be no Marcus Rashford or Cavani or um, I'm trying to think, uh, or Donny van de Beek and Paul Pogba. They're all out injured right now. So that'll be interesting Interesting to see how that AC Milan game goes because that's a pretty tricky fixture because Milan are pretty doing pretty well in uh, City A right now. But 
I still think United, after picking up that result against City, I think they'll kind of regain some of that form and mojo they had in the middle of the season. So I think they'll beat West Ham 2-1 at Old Trafford. Mm. West Ham against Man City didn't really go so well for them, but I feel like they have the blind mentality where it's just like, all right, we got to, like, this is our time. Like, if there's a time for us to kind of beat expectations of this season, we are the dark horse. And despite all that, they won't have Messi Lingard, man. I feel like that's a big hit. Like, not having him kind of changes the complexion of the team where it's kind of more on Mikhail Antonio and Suchek to really step up. And, you know, Ben Rama is still there, but I feel like there's not really that many other players that takes up that little plug in the hole in the center of the, the team like Lingard does. So it's kind of evens out where you said, you know, Man U are losing or missing some of like their big name players, but so are West Ham for this one. And I think it'll even out to a 1-1. Oh, no, not another draw. I think it's going to be a draw. Okay, so I'm going 2-1 United. He's going uh, 2-1 Man- Manchester United, and he's going 1-1 draw. But mm-hmm. um, now we have Liverpool. They are, no, Wolves are hosting Liverpool. And this is an interesting one because Wolves, I feel like, have picked up a little bit, a tiny inch bit of form recently. Um, Liverpool, on the other hand, obviously are struggling a lot in the Premier League. But I wanted to mention real quickly, Adama Traore has been really bad this season. Zero goals, zero assists. And obviously, his big uh, partner in crime, Raul Jimenez, has been out for majority of this season. And they both connected really well with each other last season. But Adama Traore really has not taken that next level um, this season like he did last season. But because of that, and because of the result that Liverpool got in the Champions League, I actually think they'll they'll get a draw here and they won't lose again. So I, I'm going going 1-1 for this game. Man, Adama Traore fall from grace as well. Like we had, I still have a lot of faith in him. He still has the baby oil on his arms. He's just <laughs> like a freaking nature kind of player. It's just like you don't really see players built like him. And I feel like if there's a time to abuse the Liverpool defense, it'd be now because not gonna lie, Nathaniel Phillips and Kabak, not the fastest players. <laughs> on paper, technically supposed to be fast. Like in FIFA, he's like seventy-one pace or seventy-six pace, something like that. But in real life, I'm like, man, this guy runs like. Like if there's like a if there's lag in a game, I'm just like, why do you? What the reaction time was that? <laughs> so I feel like if there's a time to really abuse that, it would be now. And Adama Traore in the past few games, I've seen Wolves have the starting lineups out. He plays up top. He plays like striker. Like he's not on the wing or anything. Like they put him like in the middle. So I feel like this could really hurt Liverpool. And I feel like in the league, they're a whole different team. This Liverpool side. And despite winning against Leipzig, I'm not sure if that's going to be enough to keep them. Like, I've been very pessimistic about Liverpool in the, in the Premier League. And I'm not going to, I'm not really going to change for at least now until I start seeing more results coming through just scoring or just creating more chances. And I'm going to say Wolves win this 1 0. Oh, man, that's really pessimistic. You got to have a little yeah. bit of faith in your team. Um, no. <laughs> Tyler's going on the deep end right now. He's definitely going through the pain of, of being a Liverpool supporter right now. So he's seen going, it. yeah, he, he's seen it a lot actually, but he's going 1-0 Wolves. I'm going 1-1. And then finally, the biggest game of the weekend is the North London Derby. We have Arsenal versus Tottenham. Mourinho Spurs are firing at all cylinders right now, especially with the Fab Four, as we like to call it. And Arsenal... I've been doing decently well, but they did pick up a really shocking 1-1 against Burnley, which a game they probably should have won, but then they had a bunch of mistakes by Granit Xhaka and such. But, oh, this is a this is going to be a tough one. I, I just feel like the way Mourinho sets up, he always seems to figure out a way to really annoy Arsenal, no matter who's the manager. And the way Arteta is going to set up, being very possession-based, playing out the back, Mourinho likes to capitalize on mistakes. Arsenal are very... Uh, 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 Arsenal are very much a team that is prone to making mistakes so I'm actually going to go with Tottenham winning this game A, I think they might actually win 3-1 um, I feel like it might get a little ugly for Arsenal fans at this game Holy cow Yeah, North London Derby Well I would say it's a big time to face Tottenham right now It's like, or not the best time to face Tottenham because you know Bale's on fire Kane's on fire Son lukewarm but I mean <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal, meanwhile, 
has been very sporadic. It's just been, you know, points here and there. But Arsenal are a home. I don't really know home games these this season. Like in previous seasons, I would always give advantage to whoever's at home. Unless I was gonna say, what what's the team that's usually very hostile at home? Oh, West Ham. <laughs> I was like, it just kind of went through my mind for a sec. But usually unless it's West Ham, it's like usually like if whoever's at home the advantage. But now these days with no fans, it's very much neutral ground almost every time. Maybe besides like the travel delay from uh just the the unrest from having to ride a plane or a bus for a while right before mm-hmm. the game. But I would say I'm gonna agree with you, Yosh. I'm gonna have to say Tottenham have the advantage, and I wouldn't be surprised if Tottenham win two one. I think for a Northland Derby, maybe that's enough to keep them going. But I think it's gonna be a little closer. I'm gonna say two one. Uh, I want to yeah. say a draw, but I'm yeah. I, I just right don't see a draw. Yeah, Bale's just on fire. Yeah, I, this is actually one of those big games. I just don't see a draw happening. Um, because like you said, I think Bale is on fire. Arsenal are very much a team that, like I said before, makes a lot of mistakes. And I don't know. I just don't see this ending up as a draw. But knowing us, this game is probably going to be 1-1 or or nil-nil. Exactly. But But the difference is like this is 7th versus 10th. Yeah. (laughs) This is not actually top six. It's not a top six right now. So I ain't going to say nil-nil. It's a mid-table clash for the North London. Mid-table clash right here. (laughs) So I'm going 3-1 Tottenham and you're going 2-1. Mm-hmm. Two in Tottenham, so yep. we're both calling Spurs victory, but obviously we'll see how this game ends ends up. It's going to be a really exciting one, but um, that kind of wraps up our show. Like we always say, if you want to please leave a rate, comment, or subscription on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating on there. That would be greatly appreciated, but if you don't want to, just sharing this podcast with one of your friends or someone that would be interested in Premier League soccer would be awesome. You can also, you can also follow us at the Premier Pod on Facebook I was about to say Facebook, but we don't have Facebook on. You can follow us at the Premier Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also subscribe to us on our YouTube page where you can get access to our video portion of the podcast if you like. Um, but as we say um, after every episode, thank you guys so much for the support. That kind of wraps up season three, episode not 109 for us. Thank you guys so much. Peace. Peace. Peace.